Welcome everyone to the pilot episode of Free of Charge, Conversations in Canadian Nuclear Science, a monthly podcast produced by Canadian Nuclear Laboratories, Canada's premier nuclear science and technology organization. I'm Larkin Moskrop, a hip waiter-wearing ecologist turned nuclear advocate and currently a project manager here at Canadian Nuclear Labs. I'm very excited to be hosting this podcast and bring to you the expertise of a wide variety of specialists from across CNL. Um, today we have Dr. Jan Castillo here to talk to us about hydrogen and tritium technologies. He is the head of directorate currently with Hydrogen and Tritium Technologies Directorate at CNL. He is a recognized expert in deployment of innovative technologies in the areas of hydrogen production, hydrogen recombination, heavy water and tritium management, chemistry and process engineering. If you don't know what some of that is, we will talk a little bit about it in today's episode. Dr. Castillo is leading a team that's seeking new avenues to accelerate the wide deployment of hydrogen and hydrogen-derived clean fuels using a combination of new and existing technologies in favorable market conditions and opportunities in Canada and overseas. Welcome, Jan. Thank you very much for having me over, Larkin. Pleasure to be here. So I guess the first thing is, what is hydrogen? Right. So first of all, hydrogen is the most uh, is the lightest element in the periodic table. It's also the most abundant element in the universe. And it so happens that because of its abundancy, it's um, actually hard to get into, into pure form. So you need to extract it out of water or out of uh, mostly natural gas. So that is what hydrogen is. So why should we care? What does it do? How does it connect to climate change or energy? That's a very relevant question, uh, Larkin, these days. So hydrogen has this unique decarbonizing potential. So by that, it means that the ability to replace some of the existing um, fossil-based fuels with hydrogen allows a significant reduction on emissions, especially on the greenhouse gas emissions. There is some studies that indicate that hydrogen has the potential to reduce emissions as high as 20% worldwide. Um, And currently, more conservative predictions indicate that it could be um, as low as 5%. But that still is a large component of the um, equation for uh, net zero for 2050 that the world is is looking to resolve. So what, what amount of hydrogen do we currently have in the energy sector worldwide? Typically, we produce give or take about 100 uh, megatons of, um, of hydrogen worldwide, out of which I would say uh, Canada produces in the order of 3 to 4% of that. So what we are expecting to see is a six-fold or seven-fold increase in the next couple of decades, which is dramatic if you consider the size of the energy market and also if you consider the differences in terms of the different processes that we have to produce hydrogen, that's a quite a dramatic change in infrastructure that it currently doesn't exist. Right. So I, I understand that there's different types of hydrogen, at least I've heard about green and blue. And I think that has to do with how hydrogen is produced. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Hydrogen is produced what people call gray hydrogen, which means it's a chemical reaction of adding steam and natural gas at high temperature that uh, allows the hydrogen to come out of the molecule of natural gas 
through a process called steam metering reforming. And that's what we do now? That's what we do now, and that's called gray hydrogen. Okay. So it does produce a hydrogen very economically, but it comes at the expense of CO2 emissions in that production. Right. So the next color is blue, where um, you have a process called carbon capture and sequestration that takes that CO2 that is being produced and prevents it to get it into the atmosphere. Therefore, quote-unquote, changing the color of hydrogen from gray to blue. Then uh, green hydrogen is the process of producing hydrogen from water. And the, in the intention here is that when you do that, you generate hydrogen and oxygen, which are not uh, greenhouse gases. And if you do that through uh, renewable energy, whether it's solar or wind or, or nuclear or combinations of, of those, then you get a very clean fuel. Uh, and that is the reason why green hydrogen has such a, a strong promise. So you just mentioned <clears throat> that hydrogen could be produced with um, in, from water, but that hydrogen and oxygen were not greenhouse gases. So there was a recent article that I read that was talking about how hydrogen leaking from infrastructure could cause more greenhouse gas emission or greenhouse effect because of the water vapor it could create. Is that like a thing or not at all? Well, I think that there is some, some truth to that. I mean, water vapor is still a, a greenhouse gas in, in the grand extent, but it's also part of the water cycle. I think the key here to, to keep in mind is that hydrogen has this potential to become a clean fuel without the added effect of the uh, CO2 emissions. That's really the key of all this. Now, you might ask, where does the water come? I think that's another common question, the water scarcity. There are some areas where it makes a lot of sense to electrolyze hydrogen, especially when there is an abundance of water, but there are some other areas in which may not be as um, really available. And therefore, there is a need to have hydrogen pipelines and as you probably know, the, the hydrogen pipelines already exist. There is thousands of kilometers of hydrogen pipelines, and that allowed to have a sort of a production center uh, piping the hydrogen to other locations. That's one economic means of, of transportation. And the um, most common approach these days is to find ways to uh, reuse the existing infrastructure, which exists with natural gas, where you would like to add a little bit of hydrogen and, uh, and transport natural gas with hydrogen at the same time. And there are studies in which 5% of hydrogen is fine and they like to get to 30%, 40%, and eventually, if possible, uh, to really have a, a good blend to uh, reuse some of the infrastructure and therefore accelerating the decarbonization of, of, the, of the economy. So the hydrogen actually goes within the same LNG pipeline. So what we already have in terms of infrastructure can be reused or repurposed in a way. That's right. That's right. It can serve two purposes. Now, I was looking at an article that was referring to hydrogen as not an energy source, but rather an energy carrier, similar to like a battery. Um, does this make it more versatile? Yeah, totally. I think that's one of the unique differentiating potentials of, of hydrogen. Um, it's called an energy carrier or an energy vector for a reason. So it's really due to this flexibility. So hydrogen could be the end product. And if you combine it with oxygen in a fuel cell, you can get um, electricity and power engines. So that's one use of hydrogen. It is also a feedstock. 
where uh, there are certain industrial processes, for example, ammonia production eventually leads to fertilizers, or the production of synthetic diesels, where um, or cement production, where hydrogen is uh, it's, it's a feedstock to the, to the process and is needed. So it is uh, part of a of a larger a larger ecosystem. It also uh, allows you to store energy. So if you produce hydrogen economically and you store X amount of hydrogen, it gives you the opportunity to store a week, a month, a season's worth of power, and then uh, reuse it back onto a hydrogen turbine and give you electricity. So all those options uh, make hydrogen very flexible as a, as a fuel. And unlike uh, batteries, which is also a good solution, as you know, batteries store electricity, but they give you back electricity. <laughs> Whereas hydrogen, it could be converted into other chemical uh, molecules, methanol, synthetic fuels, ammonia, etc. And is that how it's currently used? You were mentioning that there's already infrastructure for hydrogen. And is it because of those feedstock or other derivative purposes? Right, right. So largely there are two uh, major markets for hydrogen. One is used on the petrochemical industry as a way to refine uh, some of the chemical processes to remove the sulfur. And also is used largely in the production of ammonia, which is an absolute essential component of fertilizers. And without fertilizers, we will not be able to produce the same amount of food <laughs> that we that we need given the, the agriculture land in, in the planet. So those are the most common uses of hydrogen. But as the markets evolve, there is really an interest to create a hydrogen ecosystem or a hydrogen infrastructure. Some of the primary examples are in Europe where you can consider having a center that produces hydrogen on large scale is used to help with these chemical processes as well as power uh, trucks or rail that run on hydrogen engines and also to store energy as, as needed. So there are some really interesting projects in, in, in Europe that, that they're happening and these projects are moving to, to North America too. So that's very, very exciting. So there, I know that there's already hydrogen buses and I know that there's been a lot of talk about um, how important hydrogen as a fuel could be for heavy transport. So what's the advantage to hydrogen over just electrification of a heavy transport? Uh, the main advantage for hydrogen over electrification for transportation is when the um, vehicle that you need to move gets super heavy or, or, or where the weight becomes a, an issue or the volume becomes an issue. So, so, for example, in uh, electric cars, it, um, it makes a lot of sense to um, directly electrify the cars because it seems to be a little bit easier to convert that into, into the existing infrastructure. But as the cars become trucks and they become heavier and they need a longer range and they need to have a higher load or, or you know, keep on that scenario and then the trucks become uh, real cars that they need to transport are really difficult to move load over long distances, then hydrogen starts make more sense because you can store a lot of energy per unit mass and the volume is not so critical. You can envision that a train track or a train system will have more space than a personal car and, and so on and so forth. So that's, that's kind of the reason why hydrogen tends to gravitate towards the more industrial, higher-duty uh, applications versus the light-duty vehicles. 
So speaking of volume and how you need a large volume for Hydrail, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how many options there are, or are there more options than just compressed hydrogen in terms of storage? Right, yes, there are several options. So the most uh, common is to uh, compress hydrogen and, um, and liquid, well, compress it in, as, a, as a pressurized gas, not, not unlike what we do with, uh, with natural gas and you see the, the tanks on the different houses. You can go a little bit further and liquefy it. it, requires low temperatures and more pressure, but keeps the hydrogen pure. Alternatives to that is to store hydrogen in solid materials, and then you can consider having sort of a hydrogen battery in which the hydrogen is in the solid material and you get it out when you need it and you put it back when you don't use it. And also put it into what's called liquid organic carriers, which is converting hydrogen into a liquid substance for, for its transportation. So converted into ammonia, converted into toluene, benzene, and a, and a few other, uh, few other uh, alternatives. At CNL, what we're doing is uh, looking at um, some different ways to store hydrogen in uh, metals, liquids, as well as uh, for long-term storage in uh, underground salt caverns, which again is another example of repurposing some of the natural gas infrastructure that already exists. So is there a benefit to one over the other in terms of energy efficiency, maybe, or conversions? Because the idea of you know, t- making electricity from whichever source, converting it over to hydrogen, you're losing some of that efficiencies, I guess. And then converting hydrogen to electricity, again, you'd be losing something more. So is there a benefit or is there an advantage to one type of storage method over another? Well, I think what you say is correct. When when you go to double or triple conversion, you start losing efficiency. So generally speaking, the cycle that you describe of getting electricity to uh, produce hydrogen, store hydrogen, return hydrogen as electricity takes in the order of 50 to 60% efficiency, which is not as high as direct electrification, as you pointed out. But it's also not as flexible. So I think the advantage here is to find the sweet spot in which hydrogen can do what is good for it, which is the vector side, the, the indicator where it can be used for um, as, a, as a feedstock or it can be used for supporting stability for, for renewables, uh, especially wind and solar that tend to be very, uh, they fluctuate a lot during the day or across 24 hours. So you expect to have a period of surplus in which you can add that surplus and store that in sort of a hydrogen derivative and then reuse it when you don't, you are in need of that energy. So I think that is perhaps where hydrogen has its, its value proposition. So that's really the connection then with nuclear is the, or could be the connection, is that advanced reactors are kind of being thought of in terms of these hybrid energy systems. And when people think of small modular reactors, they're thinking about how they're a piece of the energy system where we have renewables, which are more flexible in terms of variability. Um, And then we're integrating that in with a nuclear reactor, which are not known for being able to stop and start a lot. So pairing it with hydrogen would make sense because it it can store up to a season, you said, worth of energy. So do you want to talk about how hydrogen could be used in those hybrid energy systems and what their advantages are compared to, say, a battery? So hydrogen and nuclear are almost an ideal combination in several in several fronts. So 
One is uh, to produce hydrogen, you would like to have a steady source of electricity and heat that comes from a renewable asset. And uh, we're not just talking about the small molecular reactors. We're also talking about the existing generation of reactors and potentially other new large reactors that have been, that have been built. So, so the idea here is that most of the methods to produce hydrogen use uh, electrolysis. And electrolyzers tend to be very amenable to quick ramp up and, and quick start up as, as necessary. And, and in many cases, it allows you to, um, let's say, collocate the electrolyzer farm, <laughs> for lack of a better word, next to a, next to a nuclear asset thereby increasing the value proposition of the energy uh, hub, where you have electricity, heat, hydrogen as a feedstock, as well as a potential primary fuel. And it allows you to have that grid stability, and it allows you to bring other industries, such as fertilizer uh, production, potentially a synthetic fuel for maritime or synthetic fuel for um, aviation, and uh, including um, the connection with um, switching the fuels into not necessarily um, fossil-based fuels, but from synthetic bases, and where um, the traditional diesel engines don't necessarily need to take diesel, but they could just take synthetically produced diesel that allows them to be run much, much cleaner than what we currently have. So there is a full ecosystem that nuclear and hydrogen can, can break together is a lot less limited. It's a lot more limited with the, with the batteries. You had mentioned gray, green, and blue uh, hydrogen, and that really has to do with, it sounds like, from how it's produced. And so one of the, one of the comments I generally think of when I'm thinking about different grids and energy grids, and in Ontario, we're really lucky. We've got 60% nuclear and a fairly clean grid because of all of our hydro but with electrification and this push for electrification, people don't really think about where that electricity is going to come from. And so with hydrogen being a pretty electricity intensive process to produce through electrolysis, is it one of those situations where it doesn't always make sense to move to hydrogen and use that excess electricity in production of hydrogen? Or is it one of those situations where hydrogen is going to be cleaner than fossil fuels uh, no matter if it's produced from natural gas or not. So hydrogen is needed currently for our way of living. Primary example, let's say we talk, about, talk a lot about the fertilizer and, and a few other things, but for example, if I take the uh, case of steel manufacturing, steel is such a prominent material and so ubiquitous that um, it's hard to envision a world without steel. And as it turns out, you need a lot of hydrogen to produce that steel. As the processes of steel manufacturing improve, you actually need more hydrogen to make that steel. So it makes a lot of sense for industries that they absolutely need to use hydrogen to get the electricity from the greenest possible source to keep manufacturing their, their product. So I don't think it's really an option. You, you actually need to have hydrogen coming from a clean energy source. But there are some uh, circumstances in which there is a possibility of direct electrification for whatever reason. So if that is the case, I don't think hydrogen or electricity are necessarily on the same competition. They are more complementary solutions 
both of which are pushing for net zero by 2050, which is ultimately the what we're trying to achieve. I guess some people might be wondering, how does CNL fit in with the hydrogen story? Why, why do we care about hydrogen and how did we get into hydrogen? Yeah, so we care about hydrogen because our mandate is to have clean energy. And hydrogen is one of the cleanest um, uh, resources that we could possibly tap into. We also care about hydrogen because through our history of the, of the nuclear industry, we always try to push for reactors that have a higher uh, temperature to, to operate as well as produce large amounts of electricity. By doing that, there was always a synergistic approach with industrial processes that would make hydrogen, whether they were low temperature electrolysis, high temperature electrolysis, or thermochemical processes. So from the, from the very beginning, the, the company was always looking at how do we make good use of electricity and heat from nuclear. In addition, at CNL, our hydrogen history goes even further because uh, a lot of the um, candle reactors developed by the company use uh, heavy water. And heavy water is the moderator as well as the coolant, and it's an integral substance of the reactor design. As it turns out, to make heavy water, you require to uh, get in from the from from the rivers or from um, other natural resource, and that enriching process was a hydrogen process. Canada actually got into this large scale production of hydrogen at the time deuterium, which is an isotope of hydrogen, uh, from the very beginning of the nuclear industry, and that naturally. Uh, help us stay uh, with a very vibrant uh, hydrogen program. So with our history then, is hydrogen, I guess I'm going to just say it very outwardly, is hydrogen associated with explosions. What's the mitigation for this or what are we doing to look at hydrogen in terms of explosive capacity? Right. Uh, hydrogen is associated with explosions for, for a reason. It's, it tends to be flammable, highly flammable. And it also is difficult to contain because it's so light, so it escapes as, as leaks. What you need to do in those circumstances is make sure that it stays well contained and if um, have the sufficient detection systems, so in case that there is a leak, there is quick mitigating uh, factors. It could be simple as um, ventilation or it could be some sort of uh, controlled ignition. There's a few different options. But it does go back to our nuclear history because one of the most known uh, accident scenarios in the nuclear industry is the loss of coolant. If you lose coolant, you also fortunately are in the position in, in which the fuel uh, melts and then it could potentially radialize the water around it or, or the steam around it, which generates an unwanted mixture of hydrogen and in, in, a, in a particular uh, confinement. And uh, so what we wanted to do in the nuclear industry is to learn how to prevent that, how to model, how to mitigate that, and also making sure that the um, integrity of the materials that contain the hydrogen were all good. So that experience over many years, I think is very valuable to be transferred to other industries and also to the increased interest of the broader deployment of of hydrogen in, in Canada and internationally where they can learn from a lot of the experience from the, from the nuclear industry, which is uh, what we've been doing for, for many years. So you just said radialize. 
How is radializing something different than electrolyzing something? Um, okay, so electrolyzing something means using electricity to break the molecule. Uh, radializing means using the radiation to break the molecule. In both cases, you break the molecule of water and produce hydrogen and oxygen. So the what you just described, though, is when the fuel actually breaks, it's producing a lot of heat as well. So does that heat have anything to do with the production of hydrogen? Right, yeah. Okay. Uh, in addition, when you have hot metals, they act as catalysts, so they tend to help break hydrogen molecules. Going back to something you started off our conversation with this time was that hydrogen right now is a, is a fairly small amount of our global energy system. And the IPCC has said something about 2.1% maybe as high as 20% that we might get to is what you had alluded to. Where do you see hydrogen going by, say, 2050 or even 2100? Predicting the future is difficult. <laughs> I, I think the answer to that question is probably somewhere in between. The models that they have done, the uh, net zero uh, scenario analysis, heavily indicate that to achieve that net zero, you do need a large amount of hydrogen. That said... We also look at what is the current trajectory that the world is going to, and it doesn't seem to match the models very well. But the current trajectory is no doubt increasing and, and um, accelerating this deployment. So somewhere between the current trajectory and the desired end goal is probably where we're, where we're going to land. Uh, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really learned a lot and I'm, I hope that uh, we'll get to have you on again to talk maybe about tritium. Thank you again, Jan. Thanks a lot, uh, Larkin, for having me here.